0: Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and Don Muchal. And narrated by Melissa del Toro Schaffner. The Traveling Salesman, Part 10. After an abrupt and unexpected emergency takeoff, the four of us stood on the bridge of the small spaceship. Glactol and I felt quite at home on our ship, it only seemed like days since we'd last flown her, though more than 1,200 years had actually passed. That story, while seemingly implausible, was just the most recent in a series of misadventures that I had experienced since I met Glactol, a galactic traveling salesman, so long ago. My two guests, however, found themselves quite uncertain about what had just happened. The inertialist drive negated any sense of motion, as the ship quickly rose out of the atmosphere and assumed a low orbit around the planet below us. Harold, the robot that I had purchased earlier that morning, stood motionless and completely unfazed about the rapid change in his surroundings as he scanned the command deck of the spaceship. Karen, however, our ostensible museum tour guide, was in a near panic. What? What's happening? she cried. The ship from the museum just took off and is transitioning into a low-Earth orbit, answered Harold. What do you mean? Where are we? He just told you, I replied. We're in space. But that's impossible! Bob and Glactol's ship can't do that! Frankly, I was already quite tired of her arrogance and constant arguing. We can't, really, I replied. Well... Considering the fact that we just did, I think it speaks for itself. Oh, she moaned angrily, clenching her fists and stamping one of her not-so-diminutive feet. I knew it from the moment I saw you two, she sputtered. You're trouble. You're nothing but common criminals. I recognized your characteristically low brow and sneaky eyes. Shaking my head, I tried to appease her. I assure you, ma'am, that we are not common criminals. We're legitimate businessmen. But you're not. You're liars and frauds. Common of the lowest ilk. It's obvious now. You're guilty of numerous crimes, and I intend to report you to the appropriate authorities at my earliest opportunity. I assure you, we are not criminals, I repeated. At least, not in this century. Yet... I said silently to myself. Oh, yes, you are, she said, now pointing her finger at me. By stealing this ship, you're guilty of grand theft, hijacking a spaceship, and undoubtedly countless other crimes. Well, taking this ship is technically not stealing, I said, muttering under my breath something about the fact that it was actually my ship. Well, then you're guilty of kidnapping. That accusation is true, said Harold. Technically, you have taken her against her will. Suddenly feeling outnumbered, I did my best to ignore the robot. I truly am sorry, ma'am, but we didn't have time to explain. We did not intend to abduct you. Just tell us where you want to be dropped, and we will take you there. See? You already admitted that you abducted me, so you are kidnappers and thieves. I demand that you take me back to the museum immediately. I glanced at Glactol, who shook his head silently. Um, uh, Karen? That's your name, isn't it? It has to be. Yes, it is. Well, Karen, I said, emphasizing her name in a way that only people of my time period would have understood. Returning to the museum may not be a good first choice. We may have caused some structural damage with our abrupt departure. We might, however, be able to drop you off somewhere relatively close. Oh, that's right, she continued. You've probably destroyed the entire museum. Well, that's another crime. Intentional destruction of property. Then there are undoubtedly many others. Making false statements, fraud, vandalism, trespassing, destruction of historical relics, making a public disturbance, endangering residential buildings, disorderly conduct, flying a starship without a license, launching a spacecraft without an approved flight plan, entering controlled airspace without space control authorization. She droned on, and I briefly wondered if there were any crimes that she might imagine we had not committed. Did I miss something? I finally asked, in frustration. You didn't mention necrophilia, incest, or overdue library books. Karen seethed. I glanced at Glactol, who shrugged his shoulders. He apparently had no difficulty ignoring her. Her wailing continued, but I tried to get in a word. Look, just calm down. Let me try to explain. At this point, I paused wondering how I could possibly tell her the truth, or any portion of it that would make sense. First of all, I say that I had partnered with an alien, Glactol, who had visited Old Earth and how we'd made and lost fortunes along the way. Oh, but then I'd have to explain about the minor zombie apocalypse we'd caused on Earth before leaving. It would be even harder to tell her how Glactol and I had outsmarted trade guild bureaucrats and Praxian pirates to become wealthy intergalactic entrepreneurs. However, even if I managed to get that far, there was no way she'd ever believe that we'd discovered a long-lost interdimensional nexus that connected a thousand different worlds and how we'd been cast more than a thousand years into the future where Glactol and I discovered we'd somehow become famous over the intervening centuries. No. Never mind. I said, I can't explain you'll just have to believe me. Before I got any further, Harold, the cheap floor model robot I was already regretting our purchasing, interrupted me. I'm sorry to intrude, he said, but there has been an alert on the broadcast news channels that relates to all of us. Apparently there has been a terrible accident, a large explosion at our recent point of departure. What? I snapped angrily. Well, At approximately 11.22, said Harold, a mere five minutes ago, witnesses in the Darvana shopping district near the Arpego Mall reported that they saw... Cut it short, Harold, I said, interrupting his interruption. Skip the details and just give us the shortest possible summary. Of course, then. To be brief, there is now a crater where the museum used to be. What? asked Karen. Oh my, did the takeoff of the ship destroy the museum? No, answered Glactol. The drive is inertialess. There is no thrust or anything that would even scorch a piece of paper from a takeoff, let alone destroy a building. We only punched a hole in the roof. The rest of the place should have been untouched. Then and what could have possibly have happened, whined Karen. Okay, then said Harold. I try once more with the not-so-short version. At approximately 11.22, witnesses reported that they saw a large military vessel appear over the Bob and Glactol Museum of Interstellar Enterprise. After hovering for a few moments, it fired three missiles at the building. They detonated in a massive explosion that utterly destroyed the facility. Fire suppression units are at the scene, but so far it appears that no one was in the building at the time law enforcement officials. All right, Harold, that's enough. It looks like someone deliberately blew up the museum, said Glactol. It was then that I realized what must have happened. Oh dear, I said, more to myself than anyone else. I don't suppose that could have just been a coincidence, could it? Glactol's eyes narrowed to nearly invisible slits and he said "bob what have you done" "nothing really" i stammered "i mean probably nothing but if i did do something then the cause of that crater might possibly have something to do with the bentusi cartel" "the what" asked the glactol "harold diligently answered the Bentuzi Cartel is a multi-system organization that operates ostensibly as a consortium of independent merchants. However, it is considered by most people to be a criminal organization and is so powerful that even most law enforcement agencies give it wide berth. Thank you, Harold, said Glactyl. Then, still glaring at me, he asked, Bob, what did you do? <laughs> really, it's... Hardly even mentioning, I said. I just sent a message to them, but they couldn't have traced it back to me. The email was supposed to be anonymous. What did the message say? Demanded Glactol. Well, that will require a little explanation. You see, after we checked into our hotel last night, I stayed up for a couple of hours, browsing for information about us on the Holonet. Did you know that there are movies about us? They're they're quite exaggerated, of course, but we're celebrities, though we're supposed to be dead. What do you mean? Interjected Karen. You're not saying the two of you are actually Bob and Glactol. We both turned to her and said simultaneously, Yes. Karen's mouth gaped like a fish that had been lifted out of the water. But... "'But... but... how?' (sighs) "'Now just shut up for a second. I asked, preventively. Her eyes grew wide in shock. I don't think anyone had spoken to her like that in a long time. Addressing Galactyl again, I continued. "'As I was saying, we're famous, and virtually every place we ever visited is documented in video dramas and books.' There are stories, movies, sensies, and smellies, a holovid series, and even a history textbook written two centuries ago. Anyway, while poking around, I dug into the incident that first made us famous. It was when we scammed the Praxian pirates into believing the Zill had returned. Scammed, said Karen loudly. What do you mean? Glactyl and I turned once more to Karen and said, shut up at the same time. Anyway, I continued, the incident became common knowledge, and we were credited with fooling the privateers into thinking that there was an imminent incursion by the Zill dreadnought. However, the Praxian raiders were shamed because they not only believed the scam, but also because they got so scared that they ran away from a pair of ingenious traders. They became such an embarrassment to the trade guild they were thrown out of the organization and were branded as outlaws. Which is saying quite a bit given the nature of the trade guild. Anyway, with their notoriety, no one would deal with them anymore. And within a few months, they ceased to exist as an organization. They rebranded themselves and changed their methods, becoming far more secretive. Since then, they've grown larger and much more powerful. And this is important because, asked Glactyl, well, because they eventually grew so large that they replaced the Trade Guild. They're now the Bentuzi Cartel. What? That's right. The former Praxium privateers are now the Bentuzi Cartel, and no one knows it but us. So how did you figure this out, and why does it matter? Well, it helps if you have an inquiring and suspicious mind like mine. I also found a reference to the leader of the privateers, a fellow named Commander Hicardo. Remember him? The one with the nasty scar on his face. Well, while browsing, I found a photo of one of the first leaders of the Bentuzzi cartel and recognized him. It was then that I realized the cartel was just a repackaged variant of the Praxian privateers. Again, said Glactol, why does this matter? well, I might have contacted one of the current higher-ups in the cartel and let them know what I'd found out. You see, they really don't want people to be aware of their origins and the association with a group that was famously discredited and turned into a laughingstock would adversely affect their image. Apparently, in the current Galactic Society, reputation is everything. Respect is power. Social status is the basis for everything here. It's almost like currency. I guess you could say I called their bluff and they answered. Glactol growled with that clicking sound that he made whenever he was angry. You're saying that you threatened to disgrace a large criminal organization with the secrets about their origins that they don't want to be known? Are you insane? I shrugged and said, I was just confirming what I thought I'd discovered, and was assessing its value. You tried to blackmail the Syndicate? Uh, no, of course not, well, not really, I didn't threaten them or anything, I just told them I knew what I mean, I was just trying to find out how valuable that privileged information was. That IS threatening the cartel, said Sweet octoploid mother of the Panspermia. What? I asked. You know, never mind. I can tell you're pissed off. Karen, who has been listening to this conversation in total disbelief, asked. Really? Who are you guys? We told you, I said. We're Bob and Glactol. We've been gone quite a long time and, well, we just wanted to reclaim our ship. But you can't be them, insisted Karen. They perished more than 12 centuries ago. Prove it, I countered. No bodies were ever found, were they? But... She continued. Bob and Glactol were more famous than anyone. You guys are jerks. Reacting to the absurdity of her repeated denials, I sarcastically said... We can be jerks if we want to, but that doesn't keep us from being more famous than even the Dalai Lama, does it? Karen sputtered. Who? Harold interjected. The Dalai Lamas were a dynastic order of religious leaders who became popular in the 20th and 21st centuries. The last Dalai Lama, the 21st, passed away in the year 2480, back on Earth when the last religions were finally abolished. That's not what I meant. "'I said, regretting my attempt at humor. "'Well then,' said Harold, "'perhaps I misunderstood. "'In that case, you should know the llama "'is an extinct quadruped "'from the South American continent of Earth, "'and there are no records of any llamas "'that were ever famous. "'The Dalai Lama is also a dirge-like chant "'originating from the jungle planet Vivax. "'It is... "'Shut up, you stupid robot!' "'I said sharply.' Harold, however, was unfazed. I should inform you that I am immune to insults. Because you're a fucking nullwad. I muttered, and about as absorbent as a plastic paper towel. I'm sorry, said Harold. That doesn't translate. A hydrophobic material with no ability to take in. Then after a pause, he added, Oh... My reply was whispered, but consisted of an even more obscure, obscene epithet. You probably don't realize that even though my ability to conduct paper chromatographical experiments in a vacuum is severely limited and not within my design parameters, my hearing is nevertheless exceptionally keen, he said, and I understand you clearly. Also, in reference to your comment... You should be aware that it is not physically impossible, but I lack the genitalia that would be needed to perform such an illegal act. However, if I had a hyper-dimensional folding device, which I believe is located somewhere on this ship... Glactol and I quickly glanced at one another. Stop it, we said in unison. Karen then spoke up. <laughs> well, that's another crime that I'm going to have to report... Abusing sentience is a serious offense. Prove he's sentient, I demanded. I dare you. Actually, corrected Harold, it's only a misdemeanor in most jurisdictions, though it is punishable by a fine of 500 credits and 16 hours of community service. Shut up, Harold, said Karen, Glactol and me in an angry chorus. Look, we've gotten sidetracked, said Glactol. None of that matters. The point is that Bob here tried to blackmail the cartel, and they just tried to kill us by blowing up the museum where you so pompously give misinformed tours about a legend we built mostly to save our own asses." She pointed at the pin on her museum uniform that said 10 years. I'm not just a tour guide. I'm a curator of the museum. I'm the expert on these matters shaking my head, I said. Do I need to point out that the museum doesn't even exist anymore? For a moment, Karen remained silent. It's no use arguing with her, I said to Glactol. You can't win. She won't listen to anything that either of us says, and she can outstubborn you. All right, ignore her, conceded Glactol. What are our options for getting out of this fine mess? Well, We could run. We could threaten to go public with the information they want us to keep secret. Or we could sell the hyperspace key to them, I suggested. What? said Glactol. Why would we want to do that? Don't you realize? Glactol's reply, however, was cut off by the blaring of loud alarms. What is it? shrieked Karen. Those are proximity alarms, replied Harold. It means that there is an imminent danger that we will collide with a large object, such as an asteroid, a moon, or a small planet. Shall I instruct the computer to plot an evasive trajectory?" Galactyl silenced the alarms with a touch of a button and turned on the viewscreen, which dominated the small bridge. Or a large military warship, he said, pointing at the display. And no, don't plot anything. I want to know who we're talking to. The entire viewscreen was filled with a close-up of a sleek, heavily-armed frigate. Who could they be? asked Karen. The ship's markings are not clear, answered Harold, but the configuration suggests that it might be of Bentuzi origin. Of course, sighed Glactyl. So what the hell do we do now? I asked. Before even Harold could answer, three more ships materialized. Without any sort of introduction, one of the ships hailed an open comm channel and said, Are you there? Drop your shields and prepare for boarding. See, said Karen, triumphantly crossing her arms and glaring at them. I told you that you'd get in trouble for kidnapping me. Galactyl rolled his eyes, turned to me and said, now look at the fine mess you've gotten us into. We were outgunned, at least for the moment. As we lowered our shields and prepared to be boarded, I immediately regretted making Glactol watch all those old Laurel and Hardy movies. I was at a total loss about what we should do. It was one of those rare moments in my life when I couldn't think of anything to say. Glactol muted comms. Moreover, he seemed totally nonplussed. Bob he said. Charge up the star drive. We're going to make a run for it. But you said, I know. I changed my mind. They probably won't be expecting a retreat. Uh Aha! shouted Karen. That's another crime. Unlawful flight from authorities. I had to clench my teeth, but I ignored her and hit the switches to power up the star drive. Then I asked Glactol how many minutes before we can jump? About five, he replied. Just stall them as long as you can. I have an idea. Then he pulled out his unitool and started tinkering with it. It was a strange device that appeared to have a wide variety of uses, but I had always thought of it as kind of a Swiss army knife. I had no clue what he might use it for to help us out of this situation. Glancing at the viewscreen, I saw several small pods exit the nearest Bentuzi ship. Opening a communication channel, I quickly called out and said, "'Wait! Don't approach our airlocks! We took some damage taking off from the surface, and our docking ports aren't working. Just give us a few minutes to effect repairs.' The Bentusi did not reply, and Karen whined. "'Oh, dear. Do you think they're going to shoot us? Are we all going to die?' This is all your fault. I knew you were trouble when I first saw you. No, I said, interrupting her. I don't think so. If they had wanted to destroy us, they would already have done so. I think they want to uh, talk to us, and it will kill time until the hyperdrive is up. Play along. To my surprise, she played along. I waited for a stream of complaints and whining, but for once, it didn't come. I was hoping we could stall long enough for the hyperspace drive to reach at least a 60% charge. Any less than that, and it might not jump at all. "'Just give us a few minutes,' I repeated, opening comms again. We were pretty damaged back there. The Syndicate warship, however, didn't seem to believe my feeble excuse. "'You should have been dead,' their commander said gruffly. "'And you need not trouble yourself with repairs. We do not see any external damage.' And just in case your airlocks and docking ports are not functional, I'm sending over tactical breaching units. It will take a bit longer, but we should be able to safely cut through your hull and create a temporary transfer point. Now power down your vessel and make no hostile actions, or you will be destroyed. Glactol, I called out. I don't think that I'm fooling them at all. Their assault units are going to be here before our engines will get us into hyperspace. When Glactol looked up, I noticed that the Unitool was a different shape. Somehow, in its new configuration, it was longer and thinner. It looked like a short rod with a round sphere at each end. Here we go, said Glactol, holding it up. It won't work for long, and it won't work very well, but it may function long enough for our star drive to come online. He then pressed a button near the center of the knob, and everything outside went dark. Before Karen could complain or I could ask, Galactyl explained. Bob, you've seen how this device can create holographic projections. We've used it before for camouflage. Well, I've just programmed this device to hide our ship. The holographic projection is echoing the starfield around us. At first glance, it will appear that we have disappeared. You mean we're invisible? No, not at all. But from their perspective, we look just like an empty piece of the starfield. The problem is that if they look closely, they'll see that the stars are in the wrong positions. And if one of these three ships moves around behind us, the other ships will see part of that ship hidden by the stars that shouldn't be able to do that. At best, at best, it's a delaying tactic. "'Oh, this isn't going to work!' exclaimed Karen. "'You're going to get us killed! "'Why can't you just surrender and let me go home?' I muttered something about it being more entertaining watching her squirm, and fortunately, Harold didn't venture to amplify or clarify it. Listening on the open comm channel, the enemy captain called out to us, demanding what we had done in the five minutes they had graciously granted us. Then, the three ships started talking to one another. They can't have escaped, said the captain of one of them. If they had activated their drive, we'd have detected an energy surge. Hey, my sensors still show that they're still right where they were. Then where did they go? I don't have a visual. Must be some kind of trick, said another. Should I fire a few missiles? Asked someone. That one irritated me, probably because it would blow our cover if one hit and partly because it would probably obliterate us. No, the boss wanted them alive. Pull back your tactical teams and send out a couple of sensor probes. I watched the chronometer, nearly holding my breath, as I waited for the drive engines to power up enough for us to jump to light speed. As the enemy ships pulled back their assault teams, I said to Glactol quietly, Twenty more seconds. Sensors indicate the ship is still right where it was, I think they've generated some kind of cloaking field. Fire an EMP. Let's see if we can disrupt it. Ten seconds, I said. There was a loud flash and an alarm sound, which Glactol quickly silenced. There they are, called out the Syndicate Captain. Recall those sensor probes and open fire. Target their power systems and get those breaching teams over there immediately. Oh my god, cried Karen as she cowered and covered her head with her arms. We're all going to die! Before they could fire any shots, however, the engines revved operational levels, and Glactol jammed a large button on the main console. A loud whining noise sounded, and the stars outside smeared into streaks that faded into the formless gray of hyperspace. What? What just happened? cried Karen. We just jumped into hyperspace, responded Harold. Well done, said Glactol. Then, turning to glare at me, he added, of course we wouldn't have had to make such a drastic escape if you hadn't gotten us in trouble. It was an innocent mistake, I said, putting on my sincerest smile. Glactol wasn't buying any of it. In any case, I said, where do you think we should head now? It shouldn't matter, he said. It's almost impossible to follow other ships through hyperspace. On the contrary, interjected Harold. With the advent of hyperspace resonance demodulators, objects can be tracked and pinpointed in hyperspace with great precision. Glactol frowned and asked. Remodulator? What's that? Oh, that's a feature that was developed about 500 years ago, and has been marketed commercially on virtually all interstellar ships since. Wait, said Glactol. You mean, they can track where we are headed? Oh, most certainly. And pinpoint your location as well, in fact. But Harold didn't get to complete his sentence because the ship dropped out of hyperspace unceremoniously, and all the lights on the bridge dimmed. All four of us were thrown to the floor, and the gray of hyperspace visible through the main viewport, was replaced by the familiar field of stars. What was that? I called. Have we been shot at? Probably not, said Harold. The ships following us probably used an energy damper. I understand that it is common practice for law enforcement and military vessels to use such devices on fugitives that try to escape them. (laughs) Energy dampers? I asked. What are those? Oh, those were developed about 200 years ago, and they have eliminated a lot of unnecessary violence in ship-to-ship confrontations. They generate a field that drains major power systems, and without damper nullifiers, you can't restart your power core. I stood slowly, and as I regained my feet, Glactel said, Twelve hundred years is a long time to be gone. A lot of things have changed. Karen laughed. (laughs) So you thought you were so smart. Well, now you'll pay for your crimes. As she finished speaking, there was a loud explosion in the passageway behind me. I turned to see several armed men in combat armor step through a circular hole in the hall. All carried energy weapons. The breaching teams, I thought. There will be no escape now. Karen almost jumped up and down with excitement. "'Here they are! Here!' she said loudly as the assault team approached us. "'That's them! Take them into custody! They've committed horrible crimes and I'll be the first to testify against them!' She reached out and tugged at one soldier, trying to push him toward Glactol and me. The soldier stepped back and shook her off of him. Then she shouted, "'Oh! Is there a reward? Can I get a reward for turning them in?' I'm on your side now. They're the ones you need to take into custody. The soldier looked at the tallest member of their team with a pained expression on his face. The taller fellow was likely the team leader since he wore more slash marks and insignia on his armor. The leader nodded, and the soldier shifted his rifle and casually stunned Karen. As she fell to the ground, I realized that the other soldiers were shifting their weapons towards Galactyl and me. Overall, I thought, this hasn't been one of my better days. I turned my head enough to see Glactol silently glaring at me, as a nearby weapon flash flared at the edge of my vision, and my consciousness faded to darkness. To be continued in part eleven when Bob and Glactol meet the leader of the Bentuzi cartel and negotiate their future. Thank you for listening. You may notice it's becoming easier and easier to interact with us and support the show. We love our listeners, fans, and patrons. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and anybody who might be a sci-fi buff. We know they'll love it. And if you'd like to support the show for about one cup of coffee a month, you can go to the link on the bottom of the show notes in every episode and find a support this podcast link. We value bringing original, high quality short stories to you every month And we appreciate your support to keep this podcast ad-free. Thank you so much and have a great day.